Beloved brothers and sisters, what a joy to be worshiping the Lord with you today. It is my prayer that in spite of the circumstances around us, that we are strong in our Lord, we are joyful in our Lord, knowing that He is with us, knowing that He is guiding and leading each one of us. We are reminded of the precious words of the psalmist in Psalm 46, verse 1, God is my refuge and my strength, a very present help in times of trouble. In spite of the difficulties, the dangers around us, we have God to lean on, we have God to see us through. May this be your strength, may, your, may this be your joy. Let's come before the Lord in prayer. Father, thank you that we have you to lean on, we have you for our help. I pray that you will strengthen each one of us. I pray, O oh God, that we would continue in boldness, continue in our strength, because, Lord, not only are you with us, but you're going to use us for your glory. Would you speak through your word now? We, your people, are listening. All these we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. This week, I read of a man in Florence, Italy, who visited a doctor. This man could not eat. He was exhausted from a lack of sleep. He was filled with anxiety. After examining this man, the doctor found that he was in fairly good physical condition. And he concluded that this patient simply needed to have a good time. So the doctor told him about a circus that is in town. And it has a star performer in a clown by the name of Grimaldi. Night after night, he had people rolling down the aisle filled with laughter. The doctor advised him, you must go and see him. Grimaldi is the world's funniest clown. He'll make you laugh, and surely he'll cure you of your sadness. But the despairing man replied, no, 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 he can't help me. You see, I am Grimaldi. Do you feel like Grimaldi sometimes, all the time? Do you think that there is no one who is able to help you? Here you are, busy, making everybody else feel good, but you yourself are suffering. Perhaps the challenges of the pandemic had shaken you, had shaken you to the core. Maybe, like many, fear and anxiety had drained you, even your passion for God. What can you do? This morning, let us study Psalm 138 together. Here, we catch a glimpse of King David's spiritual passion for God. What kept him strong? What enabled him to be spiritually passionate for God? Psalm 138 is the first of a series of psalms that was written by King David. Psalm 138, all the way to Psalm 145. 
since they are towards the end of the book of Psalms, it is likely that they were composed toward the end of David's life when he was already king. Don't miss that. David was king over Israel. In other words, he had it all. He calls the shot. But in spite of that, we will learn that he still has a lot of problems. In fact, he has sufferings in his life. He did not tell us exactly what those are, but listen to how he expressed it. In verse 3, he said, In the day when I cried out. Look at verse 7. Though I walk in the midst of trouble, the wrath of my enemies. And then in verse 8, he goes on to say, that which concerns me. And finally, he pleaded with God in verse 8, do not forsake me. Do those words sound familiar? In all of this, how can David, how did David stay spiritually strong? From Psalm 138, we learn three important lessons on how to keep and even restore our spiritual passion for God. Let's look at this passage together. Look with me in verses 1 to 3 of Psalm 138. David begins with these words, I will praise you with my whole heart. Before the gods, I will sing praises to you. I will worship toward your holy temple and praise your name for your loving kindness and your truth. For you have magnified your word above all your name. Verse 3, in the day when I cried out, you answered me and you made me bold with strength in my soul. To grow your spiritual passion first, praise God with your whole heart. The first thing we learn from David so that we would strengthen, we would grow in our spiritual passion is that we praise God with our whole heart. Notice David declares that God is the object of his joy, of his delight. That's what it means to praise God. David sings too, and David sings about God. David bow in obedience, in worship to God. David glorifies the name of God. He lifts up the faithfulness of God. He exalts the word of God above all others. It's obvious. David is all out for God. But you know what we miss? You know what is so central, so crucial in what David was describing here? It is when David began it all by saying that he will praise God with his whole heart. What does he mean by that? Most of the time, when we think of praising God with a whole heart, we think of it in terms of our feelings because we associate the heart with our feelings. But do you know that it's much, much more than that? You see, to a Hebrew, the heart is not just the seat 
of one's emotion. It is, but it is more than that. The heart is also the seat of one's mind. In fact, it is also the seat of one's will. Not just one, but all three aspects of who we are, our mind, our emotion, our will. To praise God with your whole heart means you praise Him with growing understanding of God in your mind. You know God, you're, you're knowing more and more about Him. Also, you praise God with deepening fervor in your emotion. It is God that you want in your heart. In, it, it, it is Him that you desire after. And finally, you praise God with stronger conviction in your will. It means that it is God that you choose. At the moment you, your eyes open in the morning, it's God that you want. And the moment you close it at night, you are assured that God is who you have chosen in your life. Think about that. If truth were known, I think most of us would say that we praise God not with our whole heart. We praise Him maybe with half of our heart or maybe with just part of our heart. Ask yourself, are you growing in your knowledge of God? When was the last time that you learned something, knew something fresh about God that made you just jump with joy, with greater enthusiasm to follow Him? Have you ever experienced the nearness, the compassion of God to you, really knowing that God is not far, but He is near you, He is listening to you, He is walking with you each and every moment of your life? Think about it. When was the last time you made a choice to follow God, even though it costs you dearly? That's what praising God with your whole heart in, is you know him, you feel him, you choose him. The Chinese evangelist Watchman Nee once told of a young and new convert who came to see him. He was in deep distress. He told Watchman Nee, no matter how much I pray, no matter how hard I try, I cannot seem to be faithful to God. Surely, I will lose my salvation. The evangelist replied to him with these words, Do you see this dog here? He is my dog. He is house-trained. He never makes a mess. He is obedient. He is pure delight to me. Now, I also have a son, a baby son. He makes a lot of mess. He throws his food around. He fouls up his clothes. He is a total mess. But who do you think is going to inherit my earthly possessions? Surely not my dog. My son is my heir. Brother, you are Jesus Christ's heir. It is you that he came for. It is you that he died for. With that deeper understanding, with that fresh 
knowledge of his relationship with God, this new convert now has greater joy and found greater boldness for his Savior to live for him, to glorify him with his life. Such is to praise God with our whole heart. And this led David to say what he did in Psalm 138. I will praise you with a God like this, a God who loves me even though I fail time and time again. I will sing to him. I will worship him. When we do that, notice what David said God will do. Look again at verse 3. David say, you, O Lord, answered me. You made me bold with strength in my soul. When we come to God, God will do his part in our life. I love this story of a faithful Christian soldier who went to his chaplain for advice. He said, last night when I knelt by my bed, and prayed, the other soldiers around me began to ridicule me. Some even threw their shoes at me. What should I do? Well, said the chaplain, why don't you stop kneeling down? You could just lie down in bed, pray in silence to God. You know, he will still hear you. After a few days, the chaplain went to see the soldier to ask how he was doing with his evening prayers. The soldier replied, I followed your advice for three days, but my conscience began to bother me. So I began to knelt down as I did before. What happened? The chaplain asked. He replied, well, I was really amazed. Not a single person ridiculed me. Now, the 15 men in my barrack would kneel down with me, and I would pray aloud for each one of them. I love that. You see, spiritual passion, it grows. It grows when we praise God with our whole heart when we praise Him with understanding, when we praise Him with our emotion, when we praise Him with our will. There's a second lesson we can learn from David. Spiritual passion grows when we praise God with others. Spiritual passion grows when we praise God with others. Would you look with me in verses 4 to 6 of Psalm 138? David continues, All the kings of the earth shall praise you, O Lord, when they hear the words of your mouth. Yes, they shall sing of the ways of the Lord, for great is the glory of the Lord. The Lord is on high, yet he regards the lowly, but the proud he knows from afar. Notice David began the psalm by saying that he will praise God. Now, in verses, verse 4 and following, he is saying that all the kings, remember, he was a king himself, and the king of Israel praised God. But now he's saying that all the kings 
will praise God. In this case, together with David. They shall sing of the ways of the Lord. Now, there's a debate among scholars whether, whether David is making a statement of fact here. As in, David said that all kings will praise God. Factual. Or is David giving a command? In, as if he's saying, all the kings should. He's telling the kings that they should praise God. Is it simply a statement of fact, or is it a command to praise God? I think David is saying that if everyone knows God like he did, that anyone who had a relationship with God like him, they will definitely join him in praise and adoration. They cannot help but sing the praises of God. You don't even have to tell them to do that. They will do that. Their souls inside would compel them to sing. And I believe that's what David is referring to here. The kings, people that come to know God, they will join us. It's not going to be an individual affair. This is a corporate, a community affair when all would come to praise the Lord. And the only reason someone would refuse to do so is if they were proud, as David referenced to them in verse 6. For they have no regard, they have no need of God in their life. Concerning the proud, David says that God knows them from afar. That means these proud people should not expect and will not experience the care, the deliverance that only God can give. And these are given to those who are lowly, those who are humble, those who want God in their life. You know, but I think David is not just making a statement of fact here in verses 4 to 6. In some way, I believe David is inviting others to join him to praise God. You know, that's an important theme in the whole book of Psalm. Not only are we to worship God, but we reach out to each other and invite them to worship God together. There's something about corporate worship. You know, it, it affirms, it validates our experience with God. You see, when we worship with others, our faith is strengthened. It, is, it, 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 has, it, it's, it becomes real to us. Our relation, not that it's not real, but somehow it, it becomes not subjective. It, it becomes objective. Our relationship with God is not just up here on our head. It is not just our own mental invention, so to speak. When we worship with others, our faith becomes concrete. Somehow we can hear, somehow we can see, somehow we can touch, somehow we can feel what we believe when we do it with each other. When we worship God with others, there's a bond, like an adhesive, a glue that binds our heart, our minds, our will with each other. We grow together, we love together, we serve together. What happens 
when we don't worship in a community? Well, the opposite happens. Our faith is abstract. Our faith is theoretical. It's simply in our head. It is disconnected with life. It is superficial. And when we are faced with intense pressure, when we are filled with inner turmoil, our faith collapses. Our faith gets swept away. You know, that is one of the danger that we face in this time that we do not have corporate worship, during this time when we are just watching a video by ourselves, and we call that worship. And in many ways, you know, it is not wrong, but it, we have to realize that that is not the ideal. And ultimately, what we want is to be in the company of other like-minded brothers and sisters who love Jesus and who wants to exalt Him with, the, with others. You see, we need the spiritual, we need the emotional support and encouragement that only comes in a community of believers. Whenever I think of that, I'm reminded of my college friend, Mark. Mark used to box when he was in high school. And I remember in one of our conversation, he says that he will never forget what his boxing coach's greatest goal among the, the boxers that he is teaching. He told them that his greatest goal to all the, these budding box, boxers is that they would be absolutely, positively, without question, that they will be what he called get-up fighters, that they had to be get-up fighters. What's a get-up fighters? What it is is that if they are ever knocked down, if they were uh, actually, you know, uh, they slip, they fall, which will happen many times, they must get back up again. You get knocked down, that's okay, but you better get up. That is the greatest goal of this coach for his young boxers. And I remember my friend Mark saying this, you know, getting back up again is a never-to-be-forgotten experience. When you got knocked down, but somehow you got back up again, your sense of achievement is distinct. It is unique. It is a powerful ex uh, experience. But he ended with a, a never-to-forget reminder. He said, sometimes the only thing making you get up is someone in your corner yelling. Yes, you get knocked down. Yes, you want to get up. But sometimes the only thing that will make you get up is hearing someone in your corner yelling. That is yelling for you to get back up. Can I ask you a question? Do you have someone, do you have anyone in your life, in your corner, telling you not to give up? even yelling at you to get up, get back up. You know, spiritual passion grows, number one, when we praise God 
with our whole heart. Spiritual passion continues to grow, and in fact, it gets back up again when we praise God with others, that we are not alone, but we have those in our corner doing what we are doing. There's one last lesson we can learn from David. Spiritual passion grows when we praise God for what He will yet do. Our spiritual passion grows when we praise God for what He will yet do. Let's look at our last two verses in Psalm 138. Verse 7, David continues, Though I walk in the midst of trouble. Does that sound like us today? Definitely. David said, you will revive me. You will stretch your hand against the wrath of my enemies. And your right hand will save me. Verse 8, the Lord will perfect that which concerns me. Your mercy, O Lord, endures forever. Do not forsake the works of your hands. As we come to the last two verses of Psalm 138, David goes back to the first person. Did you notice that? In verses 1 to 3, David began, I will praise, I will sing, I will worship, I cried out. You hear him express himself? And then in verses 4 to 6, he talks about others. And now in verses 7 to 8, he came back to his, himself. You will revive me. You will stretch your hand against my enemies. Your right hand will save me. The Lord will perfect that which concerns me. Do these verses reveal David's understanding of God? Yes. For David, God has been good. God is trustworthy. And David cannot wait for, to see what God will yet do in his life. God is not done yet. Can you imagine waking up every morning and say, let's go, God. What do you have for me today? With that conviction and with that enthusiasm in our hearts, in our mind, how can you not have joy and peace in your life? I love verse 8 of Psalm 138. It says, the Lord will perfect that which concerns me. Those, that statement can be translated this way. The Lord will fulfill his purpose for me. In other words, God has a plan for my life. And you and I can be sure that he's going to make everything work out. Isn't that wonderful? Isn't that an, a tremendous encouragement? Notice too that David's last sentence in verse 8 is not a declaration. After he said those words, he made a request of God. He said, God, do not forsake the work of your hands. I think what I want you to pay attention is, is what he made reference to. 
Do not forsake the work of your hands. Who is he referring to? He's referring to himself. David sees himself as the work of God's hands. David asked that God not to abandon him. You know, David is not the man because of his own strength. He is not who he is because of his own effort. No, 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 no. I am God's handiwork. You know, who would have more confidence in with that kind of mind? Yourself? I'm not a self-made man. I am a God-made man. And with that, it reflects his confidence in God. In effect, David is saying, Lord, I am your project. So success is not ultimately up to me. It's got to be because of you, Lord. So I'm going to leave myself to your care. And if, if it's up to me, I'm not going to make it. But if it's you who is working, then I am going to make it surely. Scholars call Psalm 138, verse 8, as the Old Testament version of two beloved scriptures from the New Testament. And I'm sure many of you would know them. Psalm 138, verse 8, is the New Testament ver- Old Testament version of 1 Romans 8, 28. I'm sure all of us know and love this verse, which says, and we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to His purpose. How many times did we assure ourselves that God is at work and God will work all things out for our good? That's what David is saying in Psalm 138, verse 8. And there's another New Testament scripture that is akin to this. Philippians chapter 1, verse 6. They, uh, Paul said, being confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. God started it, and you better believe that he will complete it in the day of Christ. Do you believe these scriptures, that God will preserve you, that God will fulfill his purpose in you, that God will not forsake you. Isn't that a wonderful prayer to pray before we close our eyes each night? Isn't that a wonderful prayer to say to God when we open our eyes in the morning, Lord, let your way, uh, have your way in my life. Lord, do your work in me, your handiwork. I know that you will do it, and when you're done, you will take me home. But until it's done, you will continue to work in my life. The great missionary to China, James Hudson Taylor, hangs in his home a plaque that contains just two Hebrew words on it a plaque that has two Hebrew words on it. The first Hebrew word is the word Ebenezer. The second is the Hebrew word Jehovah Jireh. Just those two words. 
The, word, the first word, Ebenezer, come from 1 Samuel, means the Lord has helped us to this point. The Lord helped us to this point. That's Ebenezer. The second is Jehovah Jireh, which means the Lord will see to it, or the Lord will provide. Hudson Taylor loved those two Hebrew words because one is looking back, the other one is looking forward. One reminds him of God's faithfulness in his life. The other one reminds him of God's promises and how God will do just as he says he will to those who follow him. Ebenezer, thus the Lord have helped us to this point. He was at work. It was him that had led me thus far. And Jehovah Jireh, the Lord will provide. The Lord will see to it what is yet to come. Spiritual passion grows when we praise God with all our heart. Spiritual passion grows and it becomes stronger and, and even gets back up when we praise God with others. And finally, spiritual passion grows when we praise God for what He will yet do in our life. God, you're not done yet with me. Have your way in my life. By God's grace, may we all continue to be spiritually passionate today, even the days to come. Let us pray. Our loving, gracious, heavenly Father, oh, how may it be that we be like David, oh Lord, in his passion for you. Lord, he loves you. Lord, he, he, he declares your truth. He looks forward to what you are doing in his life. For that reason, his passion is hot and in fervor for you. Lord, many of us perhaps are discouraged. Many of us perhaps are fearful, anxious. Many times that happens when we look to ourselves. Many times that happens when we have no one to, to support and to encourage us. That happens often when we cannot see or we dare not see what is yet to come. I pray, O oh God, that you would make us like David, transform us, revive us, Lord. Grant us boldness with strength that comes from you, not in our own self, but one that comes from you. So that, Lord, we may praise you, so that we may invite others that they too would praise our God and to go forth not with fear, but to go forth with joy and be led forth by your peace. We ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.